But we were discussing after prayer, right? Um, that after prayer, the animal soul wakes back up. The evil animal soul wakes back up. But the Bainani um, nonetheless doesn't, doesn't sin because the animal soul is unable to carry out this desire from potential to action. That's what we were just... And then we talked about the idea of the mind ruling the heart. Okay. Um, so I want to do is I want to talk a little bit about thought. Um, I think because desire and action are clearly two distinct things, right? Well, I appreciate that desire and action are distinct things. So I, I think it's obvious therefore to everybody that just because of the Bainian might feel a desire to do something not holy doesn't mean that they will do it, right? It's very clear that there's, there's that space for the mind to reorient the heart. Because the desire does not automatically mean action. And the same thing is with speech, right? Just because we desire to say something doesn't mean we actually will say it. Right? There's that gap. But the line between, um, the, between the desire and the thought, I think that's a blurry line, yes? Yeah. Okay. So. Um, Wait, what do you mean the, the line between the desire and the thought? In other words, if I desire to eat an ice cream cone, it is not, it is very clear that desiring to eat the ice cream cone and actually eating the ice cream cone are two different things, right? There's a conceptual line between the two. Right? The desire to speak Lashon Hara and actually speaking Lashon Hara clearly two different things, right? Is the desire, though, to eat the ice cream cone and the thinking about the desire to eat the ice cream cone, those seem to be kind of blurry. Yeah. Okay. And the idea is that the Baini does not only not sin in his action or speech, but also not in thought. And yet, we're saying that the Baini may can feel desire. So I think it would be helpful if we could um, differentiating those. And then, um, so we're going to backtrack a little bit, and then we'll go forward in the text, depending on how much time this takes. Okay. So if you could go back to page 47... I know even though we got to page 49, but we're going to go back a little bit to page 47. And we're going to start from yet. Yet. It's got little geometric shapes next to it, so it's easy to spot. Yet, because the evil who has not the sole authority and dominion over the city, meaning the person's body, it is unable to carry out this desire from the potential to action by clothing itself in the body limbs. Indeed, that's self-understood, right? Desire does not automatically mean you're going to do it. Speech. Now, in thought, the language gets interesting. Okay? So, we're first going to, we're going to read, the, the thought, read what it says in thought in the translation. And then we're going to... Um, we're going to move over to the Hebrew slightly. And he says, and persistent thought 
to the extent of concentrating his attention on the enjoyment of the mundane pleasures, as to how to satisfy the lust in his heart. So he doesn't just say thought, he says persistent thought to the extent of concentrating his attention on the enjoyment of mundane pleasures as to how to satisfy the lusts of his heart. Yes. So now, in, in the Hebrew, okay, in the Hebrew, a more literal translation says, machshava mamish, which means literal thought, lahamik machshavte, to delve deeply in his thought, in the pleasures of this world, and then how to fill the desires of his heart. So this idea of literal thought, delving deeply in thought, and then, there's these two details, in the pleasure and in how to satisfy that lust and how to fulfill that pleasure. Okay. Now, not every thought would fit this categorization. So I, what, I, what I think is going to be helpful to do is to first talk a little bit about thought generally, as it's understood in Chassidus, and then we'll come back and see what, what exactly he means. So, the easiest way to understand thought... Um, is to start with something that's easier, which is speech. In the absence of speech, you are not aware of what is going on inside someone else, as a general rule. Okay? In other words, if I am thinking about what I'm going to eat for dinner, and I did not tell you that that's what I'm thinking about, you'd have no way of knowing that that's what I'm thinking about. Make sense? So the role that speech plays is to make what is, what is true inside yourself known to someone else outside of yourself. Okay? So it is an act of revealing. Okay? What is thought? Thought is the same thing but to yourself. Because there are two layers to yourself. For instance, we're just going to use right now, use, use um, knowledge. Um, does everybody know that Japan and China have tension between the two countries? Does everyone know that? Before I brought that up, were you thinking about it? Right. So you were ignorant before I brought it up? No. So you, you had knowledge, right? But you were lacking a... Um, awareness, a revelation. You weren't communicating that knowledge to yourself. So there's a layer of the self which or knows, and there's a layer of the self which is aware. If you like the terms unconscious and conscious, you can use them. I don't like them because as you see, as we're going to go on, you'll see that those, those get a little bit messy. Okay? So, but this is something we didn't know. Like, I didn't know that at all. You might not have known that. I okay. picked something that many people knew. Right? I tried to actually uh, pick something that not everybody knows to illustrate the point. Some people nodded their heads. My point wasn't that. It's you're taking something we know and bringing it to Right, right. So, for some of you, all my speech did was trigger you to think about something you already knew. And for some people, you actually learned something new. Right? So, for everybody, there was a shift on that, on that surface level of awareness. But for some people, there was also a shift in a deeper level of being informed, being knowledgeable. Of course, it could just be pulling your leg and maybe they're best buddies, right? 
Okay. Now. I'm going to give you a math problem. Okay? Have the markers, please. But it is a multiple choice math problem. Okay? Yes. It's not turkey. How do you know it's not 
irrelevant. In other words, in other words, because of your knowledge, certain thoughts don't even occur to you, right? You're not, you're not, you're not even considering number three. It never arose in your thought to begin with, did it? obvious to everybody that the answer to that mathematical thing was not turkey, right? And those of you who correctly identified the Z's and the twos, kind of, um, nonetheless, it wasn't obvious to you on the face of it that if there's no Z's in the equation, then the answer can't be in terms of something with Z. But once I pointed it out, it became obvious, right? Okay. If I really want, if I really feel a desire for, let's just use the example of chocolate ice cream. Would, and I was a bainy, would I able to be aware within my thoughts, I am having a desire for chocolate ice cream? Or does being a bainy mean that that doesn't happen? Yes, you just can't, yes. It was the one thing with it, right? In other words, I have a desire. Now, to be fair, sometimes people have desires for things they don't know what they have a desire for. For instance, have you ever, um, have you ever um, 
been hungry and not realized that you were hungry? Yes. yes. It's a state we call childhood. <laughs> you know what's really interesting is that I have seven children. And you can tell the children that are more mature because they're able to say this amazing phrase. I am hungry. And then you can tell the children who are really immature, which is that even when it's pointed out to them that they're hungry, they're like, no, I'm not. <laughs> okay. and, and it's interesting, it's not directly correlated with age. There's a certain like, temperamental maturity to it as well. Um, and, and that really has to do with the ability to think. So, so, yeah, in other words, the ability to be aware in thought and to formulate in your thoughts, I am hungry, I am tired, I am angry, I am whatever, right? That thought is simply making me aware of something about myself. Not about things that I know, but about a desire or an emotion that I'm experiencing, right? So I am afraid, I am hungry, I am whatever, right? When you were doing that, that thing, you were aware of that there were four possible answers on the board, right? So you did run through the thought of there's, where Rabbi Kaufman put four possible answers, you know, mathematical, mathematical, turkey, none of the above, right? You were aware of all four, right? But did you consider all four? Or did you immediately rule out, without even having to put any mental effort in it, the turkey? Turkey's not an answer to a mathematical problem, right? Okay. So now, let's say I'm a standard, regular, orthodox Jew, and it's Yom Kippur, and I'm hungry. And it's not one of those places where like, the services are like, so inspiring and whatever. It's you know, that afternoon break and it's just going on a little too long. And so I have, have this thought, I am hungry. Right? I would like to eat. It would be nice if Yom Kippur was over. But notice how that's phrased. It would be nice if... What thought does not occur? I I, maybe I should eat. Right? The same way the thought that maybe the answer is turkey did not occur to anybody, the thought maybe I should eat did not occur to the person on Yom Kippur. Right? So the thought which is merely just an awareness... Right? That thought the Bainini does have. The thought, maybe I should do this, the eating on your kipper, the Bainini, doesn't have. Okay? Now, is that them not having it because they're stopping themselves from having that thought? <laughs> Can't have that thought. Or it's because, go back to my Yom Kippur example, or is that because they have an awareness that it's Yom Kippur and therefore it's obvious one doesn't eat on Yom Kippur and so of course I'm not going to eat and so it doesn't, right? The same way it was obvious to you that the answer to that thing is not turkey. Okay, so right now I've taken thought and I've split into two, two levels, right? Using my little math thing, right? When you see the four answers, you're aware that all four are answers that Rabbi Kaufman put on the board. But when you're considering what could be the answer, you don't even consider the crazy answer of Turkey. Right? Okay. But did you consider the possibility of the first two answers? Yeah. Why? Why? No. You don't, right? They didn't know how to have that much math. Because they had numbers and letters and 
look like they could be mad and be the answer. But that looks like they could be the answer for how long? Until you notice what? The, the, the issues with the Z, right? And once you notice the issue with the Z, then is it kind of obvious that that can't be the answer? So the only reason that you consider it, what, that's not obvious? I mean, I always understood algebra as a certain thing to have like this mysterious where letters appear from numbers. So I, was, I was like, kind of like, like, that was math. I was like, this is so weird. There was two okay. letters and then a number appeared. Okay. I feel like one could be the other. I feel, I, I feel bad for you. It was a very rough high school. To be fair, to be fair. Um, generally speaking, math is taught in the Western world in a horribly incorrect way for the average non-mathematically inclined person. This I'm saying as someone who is very naturally mathematically inclined, um, it is it's just taught horribly. So people have no sense of what's actually going on, and it sounds seems a lot more mysterious than it really is. It's not so mysterious. It's actually very straightforward if it's just pointed out, and some people just see it automatically, and then they get into the details, and those and then some people don't. And then they, they just sit and they get lost. And they're either good at, really good at memorizing instructions yeah. or they're not, but they don't have no clue what's really flying out. Okay. But assuming someone has like that basic sense of algebra, right? If there's no, if, you don't even need to calculus. You just need to know that solving X in terms of something when there's no Z, obviously not gonna magically make a Z appear. <coughs> you just have to see it. Okay. So, would, if it occurs to a baby, not Yom Kippur, yeah. back to the chocolate ice cream, right? I have a desire for chocolate ice cream. Okay, so, so the baby has the desire, and the baby has enough self-awareness to know that they have the desire for chocolate ice cream. Okay. Now what? Well, is there a difference between chocolate ice cream and eating on your kipper? Yes. Is there a what? A difference between chocolate ice cream and eating on your kipper. One is completely forbidden. Very good. That's right. And therefore, whether or not eating on your kipper is coming from the klipa is obvious. How obvious is it? Like the fact that turkey is not the answer to a math problem, right? But whether or not the desire to eat ice cream is coming from the klipa is somewhat context dependent, right? Yes? Well, the desire might not be from the klipa. I mean, but if it go to the thought, maybe I'll eat, that would be. But just no, 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 even the desire. Exactly. Even the desire. Is from the klipa? Sure. Maybe. But what if just hunger comes up? Let's run through some possibilities. Uh, could be, for instance, um, that your mother brought you an ice cream cone and says, would you like an ice cream cone? And you feel a desire to eat the ice cream cone. Mm-hmm. Right? Wait, you said my mother bought yes. Well, for, not for you. Not for you. Not for, you bought an ice cream cone. You bought an ice cream cone. <laughs> for your son. Mm-hmm. It's a treat. Right? And you bought the ice cream cone and you... Say, would you like the ice cream cone I bought for you? And he says to you, no, 
We just learned in Rabbi Kaufman's Chassidus class not to indulge in material things. <laughs> you can see that that would be a little bit off, awkward, right? Okay, right. So is the desire to eat the ice cream necessarily coming from Klippa? No. Right? Because remember, there are things which are mitzvahs, which involve doing things, which involve eating, which involve going shopping, all doing other things, right? There are things that are necessary in order to get to mitzvahs. And so is it obvious on the first take that something which is essentially permitted is coming from Klippa? It is not obvious. In order for it to become obvious, what has to happen? You do have to entertain the thought. You have to look and you have to say, well, in option one, there's a Z. In the, in the function, there's no Z, so that can't be the answer. Right? You have to actually consider it in order to see its incompatibility, right? So, and there are, when it comes to things that whether if I desire it, should I do it? If it's something that's permitted, right? There is the question of context. And so the person does have to consider it for a moment. So is that considering of permitted things to determine whether or not this is actually giving into a desire of the klipa or this is actually enabling me to serve Hashem or is that have a form of service of Hashem? Is that the kind of thought a Benini doesn't have? No. So number one, the mere awareness of the desire, that kind of a thought the Benini will have. The thought to consider whether I should do it, whether it's appropriate to do it, when it comes to something permitted, is also the kind of thought that a Baini, not just could have, but arguably should have, right? This is only for permitted things? For permitted things, as opposed to something which is forbidden. If something is forbidden, then is it obvious that it's coming from the clip of the desire to do that thing? Okay, great. So if it's it's forbidden, then it's, it's obvious from the klipa, right? So remember, the baini is not going to do anything that comes from the klipa, right? So if the baini is feeling a desire, the awareness of that desire, that is not the kind of thought a baini doesn't have. The considering doing the desire, should I do it or should I not do it? Well, that depends. Those things which are on their face from the klipa, meaning things that are forbidden, we don't even consider Going back to the little thing I did, right? The idea of a math problem, the answer is turkey. It's on the face foolish. You don't consider it. Right? But the other two answers, to get rid of those other two answers, you do have to think about it, right? And now, it doesn't take a lot of reflection to figure out, as long as you know what you're looking for, right? Well, if there's disease over here and there's no disease over there, it can't, doesn't work, right? So when it comes to permitted desires, right? The Bain not only is aware, but even considers doing them. And the consideration based on context and serving Hashem. So, I'm guessing the same. so, then, so then my question is, what is the thought that the Bainini isn't thinking? See what I'm saying? Like, the Bainini thinks thoughts of, aware, of just simple awareness. Awareness of desire. The Bainini may even think thoughts of considering doing something when it's, when it's permitted. In fact, probably should consider it, right? So then... What's the thought the Baini doesn't have? But that's not what the text says, does it? Let's look again in the text. Now, everything that I said, what does the text says? Concentrating his attention on the enjoyment of the mundane pleasures. Stop. What does the Baini not think about? 
Right, so, I feel a desire for ice cream. If it's Yom Kippur, I'm obviously not going to consider eating ice cream. But if it's, you know, Shavuos, first day, where there's ice cream being served, then I will consider it. And I may even eat the ice cream, by the way, because after all, it is Shavuos. But what thought won't I think if I'm a Bainan? Which I'm not, but if I were. Or I'm trying to emulate a Bainan. What thought won't I think? What does the text say? Just enjoy. I will not think about what? How enjoyable the ice cream is. Right? There is a way of creating that mental reality of how wonderful it is to eat the ice cream. Will the Bainani think that thought? No. Ever? Ever. It just won't come to him or he'll or banish it if it comes? What? No, it won't come. It won't, he, 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 won't, he won't think that thought. So in other words, I want to differentiate now three things. Eventually, we're going to get to a fourth. Number one, the fact that I desire. Two, the considering of doing, of acting on the desire. Three, right, which is concentrating on the pleasure of the thing. Which one does the Bainini never do? What is the, what is the forbidden thought? The third. The third thing. Now that we, I want, we're going to have to flesh that, but then there's one more thing. He also adds, how to satisfy the lusts of his heart. Now, what is that? So let me explain to you what I mean. Going back to the ice cream, okay? Um, you ever had a craving for ice cream? Absolutely. When there's no ice cream available? Okay. Now, how much time does it take to make a plan as to deciding that you're going to get ice cream and figure out how to go get it. How long does that take? It doesn't take very long, right? So therefore, if it's just a mere question of, I have the desire for ice cream, there's no ice cream available. So I A, decide that yes, I'll go get the ice cream. B, I figure out very quickly how I'm going to do that. I will get in my car, I'll drive to the store, I will buy the ice cream. At that point, my thoughts are no longer needed. So my thoughts should be ice cream free. But is that what happens? Or do I continue to imagine how I will pick the ice cream, right? And how I will eat the ice cream. Do I do it this way or will I do it that way? In other words, in other words there, is, there is something beyond just the mere technical question of planning something. There is, there is almost a, 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 a fantasizing about the experience of something and fantasizing about attaining what you desire. Right. Um, I'll give you an example with, with a negative emotion that you ask questions. Um, have you ever had anxiety about something? Okay, now, very often, the things that we are anxious about are not unreasonable. They're, you know, things could go wrong. Does it therefore behoove us to make plans as to how to avoid the unpleasant outcomes? Sure. Once you've made the plan and you've set it into motion, at that point, is there any need for the further anxious thoughts of playing out how everything could possibly go wrong? 
And yet, do people still do that? Okay. So at that point, the thinking has become an activity detached from any sort of functional thing. Right. So, is the Bainini have thought as communicating to themselves clearly what they are experiencing? Sure. Right. They're not lacking in self-awareness. Is the Bainini considered doing something? Well, the things that are on their face, obviously, Klippa, no. Things that are not on their face, Klippa, yes. Because, like, how else are you supposed to know whether you should do it or not? You have to consider it. Now, does it, if you're going to consider it honestly, how long does it take to figure it out? For most things, most of the time, not that long. If you're going to consider it honestly. And yet, we will notice that our thoughts tend to hang around our desires quite a lot. Why? Because they're doing two other things. They are concentrating attention on the enjoyment that we get from the things, right? And how we can go about satisfying our lusts. When I go, will I have, it, will I have the chocolate syrup or the caramel syrup? Or maybe the chocolate and caramel syrup together. Mm. Maybe it goes to a different with the strawberry. Right? You can just go on and on and on and on and on, right? So there's a, there's a kind of a layer of playing things out in the mind as a kind of indulgent activity in and of itself. Is that something the Bainini would do? No. No. Questions? Yes. Like the richness of life feels like it's sapped out of his experience. I mean, unless, like, can he, like, enjoying ice cream, is that bad? Are you, asking, like a, are you asking a normative question? I don't know what I'm asking. You're asking, like, my, like, like, is it okay to enjoy ice cream? Should no, you feel no, bad I about yourself? I, I know that I've gone <laughs> to go and I will. But because, I mean, we are, it sounds like we're, um, like, if these are, like, the top people in art, like, we're looking up to this, right? We're, we're valuing it. We're seeing it as, like, an ideal, aren't we? What has this person previously experienced? Enjoyment of ice cream. No. In the vein, what did they previously experience? God's presence and like awesomeness. Mm-hmm. God's presence and their awesomeness. So why don't they indulge in how wonderful the ice cream would taste and how well they could have their ice cream sundae with the nuts, without the nuts? Is why not? so preoccupied with godly thoughts that like... No. That doesn't matter anymore? No, no, no. Because no, if that was it, we wouldn't have the desire to begin with. Okay. So let me give you an analogy so it's a little clearer, okay? Have you ever, um, nothing really going on, and you had to go to the bathroom? That happens in life, right? Yeah. And um, because nothing's going on, you go to the bathroom, so you're like, you really share the bathroom, and you thought, just think about it. where's the bathroom? You go to the bathroom. Right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, have you ever been doing something that is really important to you and then you also needed to go to the bathroom and so it would tear you away from whatever you were doing, you would miss a few precious moments of whatever? Mm-hmm. Your relating to the physical drive to go to the bathroom becomes very different, right? It's, do I really need to go? If I really do, I will. And if I don't, then 
that I won't. But either way, like I want my thought free of this because this is sapping, how did you put it, all the enjoyment out of my life. What he as enjoyment. That's right. Can you, can you, in other words, this person has that clarity from the prayer that this is sapping all of, I don't know if enjoyment is the right word, by the way. Probably isn't. This is sapping all out of life all what makes life worth living. It's extremely important. This is not before davening. This is after the davening. Well, the desire also, but that's not something they can control, which we'll talk about later in Tanya. But, they, but the person can control whether they think about it. And why would I think about something that just feels to me like it's completely... That's right. That's, That's exactly it, right? It's sapping away, right? Yeah. Um, I have this wonderful thing called the ability to do, the ability to speak, the ability to think, and I'm going to give up that precious resource that allows me to maintain and strengthen my connection to Hashem over something as shallow and as empty and as meaningless as the flavor ice cream I'm going to eat. That just seems to me so... Be- I mean, it doesn't seem to me, unfortunately. <laughs> I wish it did. It just seems like, oh, obviously... Now... But that only happens because the, the sense of the greatness of God has become that real and that rich and that powerful in the prayer. So you're comparing it and saying that the bathroom, we can still enjoy the lecture, we can put aside... Right, because you realize, like, I, I, you know, I, you know, if I know you, I would go to the bathroom, but... completely sapped and right. obsessed with... Right. In, other, in other words, there's a notion here, and this is the cue, I want to get it. There's an, a notion of desire and there's a notion of identification with desire. Right. Yeah. I have a question still on this, though. But with the ice cream example, isn't like the third thought, the concentration on the intention of the enjoyment, like a part of thinking through the process of doing an action? Like for ice cream, if I was thought that like I desired ice cream and then thought, oh, I want to go get ice cream, part of that is thinking, wait, do I actually want ice cream? Then I have to think about the act of actually eating ice cream. Like, is it actually what I want or like... You know, and then you're like, wait, I don't actually want ice cream. Yeah, but, but so, 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 no, the, 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 the question here is not do I want, it's like I said, like, if a person, if a person, The question of doing or not doing doesn't really have to do with whether you want it or not. It has to do with, let's go back to the cost of things, the opportunity cost of things, right? I enjoy ice cream even on Yom Kippur. I'm just not in any way willing to throw away Yom Kippur for ice cream. It's just that simple. It's just like, like completely obviously a bad trade. It's so much a bad trade that it never occurs to me to sneak a little ice cream in the middle of Yom Kippur. You understand? And that's not because I don't desire ice cream. Now, you're right about something else where some things we desire, we don't know what we desire, and we're like, but that's, that's something else. But for our purpose, it almost doesn't matter because it's very clear, this sense of desiring for what I call in my family the munchies, which is you want to eat something just because you want to eat something tasty, but you don't know what you want. Like, that's clearly, like the specifics of that are beside the point, Right? So the question, like, what is that? That's, 
like that's a kind of like a you know just an indulgent into the physicality of your existence and but you know what I never get the munchies when I'm you know in the middle of something that's much more meaningful interestingly enough or when I have something that is very not even meaningful but something that is very um, important that I have to be taken care of as long as I've accepted the responsibility for the importance of that thing. If I've not, then I'll develop a serious case of the monkeys to, <laughs> to distract myself from it. But, you know, but like, you know, like just an example, like, like making Pesach. So there's parts of making Pesach that I really take it on myself. So one is cooking. I can go for a long time cooking for Pesach. Just like, I don't need a break not eating. And it's a lot of work because the way you know, we do things in our house is we don't use processed products. We peel everything. Just everything takes a long time. And, you know, but it's like, we've got to make the Pesach food, the Pesach food will be done, and it's like, it's important, and it's serious, and like, and, you know, whereas if, like, I'm home in just an afternoon with nothing to do, start raiding the fridge. So, it's not so much because of a desire thing, you understand, it's just like there's other stuff going on, right? So, and, and that's the kind of thing, is that the, the way in which your mind has perceived the reality. So the takeaway from the davening, from the, con- uh, the contemplation, the pondering in prayer, and that, that sense of the real greatness of Hashem, is that the klipa seems shallow. It doesn't mean the desire isn't there, just it seems shallow, it seems hollow, it seems, it seems the opposite of the way you described it. It seems, right? And so, to, I would never throw away Yom Kippur for ice cream. And even during the, you know, Tuesday afternoon, the Baini would say, I wouldn't throw away my connection to Hashem for ice cream, even if ice cream is permitted. Because, like, why, why would it, like, my, 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 my actions, my speech, and my thought are all tools, are all vessels, ways I can connect to Hashem. And so why would I throw that away for ice cream? Now, on the other hand, if the ice cream is going to help me serve Hashem, then by, and, and it's, you know, then by all means, like I'll do the ice cream. But even then, you know, like when you go to the bathroom, you decide to go to the bathroom. Like, how do you go to the bathroom? You know, you do your business. You <laughs> like, unless you're avoiding something, in which case, you know, that's different. Yeah. No. Um, it's a more complicated answer, but as a general rule, the way that the Hashem created things is such that in, in engaging in certain types of things desensitizes oneself to Hashem and draws one further away from Hashem. Um, I don't want to elaborate on it now, but if you want to ask me questions and answers, I'll elaborate on them because it's not really relating to this. But the idea is based on what is, is a spiritual interpretation of the Pasuk when it says that Hashem made a separation between the upper and lower waters, that Hashem made a sep- separation between um, mundane pleasures and godly pleasures. And even though the mundane pleasures also come from God's energy, they ultimately drive a person away from God. Um, which is something topic needs to be elaborated on. So if a person would not do things that way. There is a different idea, which is, which is a retrospective reflection, which is they have enjoyed something, they have experienced something to reflect that, that, kind, that, that what really made that 
uh, uh, enjoyable or worthwhile or meaningful experience was whatever little bit of godliness poked through the veil. But that's a that's a that's an after the fact reflection, not a not a a priori way of approaching things. There's a topic elaborate in great length of Chassidus. There's even a mimer on it if you're interested. Um, it's translated into English. I can show you, but it, it does not talk about directly here, so I'm not going to elaborate more on it now. But if you want, you can ask me on Wednesday. Um, so there's there's right. In other words, if 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 I were to think of my thought as valuable real estate, and the thing that really gives my life its its oomph is connecting to Hashem and all of his greatness, then what would I want my valuable real estate to be filled with? Those kinds of things. And I wouldn't want to be taken up any more than necessary by other stuff, right? So that, that indulging in thought, that fantasizing of what it's like, and that, that, that indulging in like, I could have it this way, I could do it this way, I could have it that way, that doesn't, that, the, 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 that kind of thinking should be reserved for things which are overtly godly. Like, what it would be like to be close to Hashem, and how you could serve Hashem this way, you could serve Hashem that way, like, you know, that maybe that. But that all presupposes again that the sense of Hashem is a more um, emotionally compelling experience that they've had through their prayer, right? But if we reduced it just to like you know a, a compliance with the dictates of halacha, then this doesn't make any sense, right? You 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 would have to like. It's forbidden and stop yourself from thinking that. It would not, right? It's not, they would never think this way. Okay. So the kind of thought, right? The kind of thought is, is that you remember thinking, is that kind of, not using thought in its just self-awareness sense, because there's, no, there's nothing sinful about that. And not the issue of thought in its practical should I or shouldn't I, because anything, anything which is permitted, in theory there is a possibility that maybe you should be doing it, so there's an importance to consider whether or not it should be done, right? Honestly. But then using thought as just the way of experiencing it through your own thought, through, right, as he puts it, concentrating the pleasure, right? You know, reflecting on how to satisfy that lust. Should I have it this way? Should I have it that way? Um, I had a friend. Um, you shouldn't say Mazel Tov. Mazel Tov. <laughs> <laughs> um, I had a friend now who... Now we know a lot about your sexual life. <laughs> 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 We're only your friends, aren't we? What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, actually, maybe you shouldn't say Mazel Tov. It was in past tense. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I had a friend many, many years ago. I've since lost touch. Um, who he he worked um, as a um, his, his like family was in like it was in business. He worked in the mish, as a mishkiach in restaurants. So he told me something very interesting about people um, going to fa- very fancy restaurants in New York, kosher restaurants. About people going to fancy restaurants. The difference between business people going um, to fancy restaurant versus regular people going to a fancy restaurant. Um, this is a bit like oversimplification, but it's true. He said like this. The difference is, is that the, the regular person going to the restaurant finds the fanciest thing on the menu, or the most expensive thing on the menu that they can afford. Adjust for taste, right? If you don't like a particular thing, you're not going to get it. <coughs> Go to a fancy restaurant, right? They have three kinds of whatever you want. I don't know, let's say three kinds of steak, right? 
And if the really the most expensive one is the best one, assuming you can like rationalize you spending that much money on it, you spend it. If you can't, so you get the next one down, right? That's how regular people are. So as business people, it's the reverse. They get the cheapest thing on the menu that doesn't make them look cheap to the person they're having lunch with. Because why would you waste good money? You're just there to make an impression. It's the complete inverse because your whole way your mind has related to what are you here for has completely reversed itself. If I'm here to be connected to Hashem in the fullest sense possible, that's really what speaks to me, not to the book, not to the rabbi, not to God, to me, right? Because of what I've experienced in my prayer, well, then, of course, I'm not going to waste my precious inner mental life fantasizing about indulging in ice cream. Why would I do that? But now you also see why it's very hard to imitate and mimic that kind of inner life if you don't have that underlying experience. That's why these two sides, the prayer and the after prayer, they go together. You're talking about it's a natural thing. It just happens. No one has to try. You don't get brownie points for pretending. Like it's just, it's just we'll learn later about brownie points for pretending and things oh, like that. Okay. But that's not what it says here. That's not what it says here. Right? It's like if you see an advertisement for something that obviously has no place in your life, even though it's really clever advertising, like, you know, like, you don't want to, like, spending lots of time in your thoughts. Uh, can I give you, like, a, like a, 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 the same idea, but it's, it's, it's in a different context, but I think it'll help you appreciate it. There's a very big difference between before you get married and after you get married. One of the differences is that before you get married, it is a perfectly legitimate thing to ask yourself, should I be married to this person? That is a perfectly legitimate thing to think about. What about once you've gotten engaged? Are you still allowed to think that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, presumably, you know, if you do things the right way, you know, it should be pretty clear that the answer to that is yes, and so, and then you move as quickly to getting married. But that's, that's more of a technical issue. Once you're married, though, is that an appropriate thing to be thinking? Why not? What? I'm not asking you if it's common. I'm asking you is it... Uh, there's always exceptions to everything. Why? Why, why is that not appropriate? Because marriage is based on devotion. That sounds good. What does that mean? Because you did all that thinking beforehand, and so, like, any thoughts that you would have in the marriage is anxiety. Okay, but what if you didn't do those thoughts beforehand? It'll affect the way you know information sometimes. Because the whole value of the marriage is how committed you are to each other. That's what makes you married. You made an option of not being married to that person rather than and then, rather than what? Thinking of how to fix the actual whatever, whatever making. Okay, I, I, I want to focus on that formulation. Um, you're bringing in the option of not being married to that person rather than thinking of how to fix what made you think that. Opportunity cost. If you're considering opting out of the marriage, that's coming on the expense of what needs to change in order to make this marriage. I, the devotion thing, I'm not 100% set on, by the way. I, I, it sounds nice. Maybe it's true. It's not. I, I don't know. I don't want to like, venture into that territory. 
depends what you mean by that. And like, no, it's a very simple thing. It's, once, if that's the thing in my thought, then the other thing is not. Like, either my inner mental life is playing out the question of how to make this relationship smoother, more honest, more intimate, more trusting, when it's not because no relationship is perfect. Or it's playing out the question of should this relationship exist or not? It's not doing both. You can move back and forth from one to the other, but at each time you're doing one, you're not doing the other. And since the overall health of the marriage depends on one, the other one has this, right? And look, if you realize that very clearly, and you're like, what do you mean? God put us together, this marriage, like, in a certain sense, that very consideration is, is, is undermining, it's coming at the expense of something, right? Now, but that's because no real decision actually has to be made. Now, on the other hand, if you're not married, a decision has to be made. Should you marry the person or not, right? And in extreme circumstances, during being married, a decision may have to be made about ending a marriage, right? But in a marriage, not in extreme circumstances, that's not the case. And that, 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 that's the issue. It's not a matter of piety, per se. It's there's a clarity that stays in this person's mind. Remember we said the mind rules the heart. Why would the mind consider something that's so antithetical to the whole way it perceives what your life is about? Now, if your mind isn't really clear on that, well then, you know, then, then, then it gets messy, which we'll learn about chapter 13. And so is this person constantly guarding their thoughts? But, right, but they still, they're, they're not so focused, they have no desires. They feel the other desires, right? The animal soul does manifest itself, and they're aware of that, right? And they might even be aware of things that trigger that, so they might want to make changes in how they live their life to avoid those, that, even if those things are, right? Like, for instance, let's say you're working on a marriage. Using my marriage example. Are there issues that are going to be a source of tension that have no practical relevance in your life? In other words, two people aren't going to feel strong disagreement about a particular issue, and it's not reconcilable, but it also has no practical relevance. Yes? Okay. If you realize that, do you make a conscious decision not to spend your time talking about those things and to accept the fact that you don't have to agree on everything, but at the same time, you don't have to make that an issue? So can a person realize, oh, this particular thing, it might be entirely permitted, but whatever time I encounter this thing, it just ramps up the desires of my animal soul and then makes it so much more distracting and just messes like, oh, I don't want that. So in other words, the person is not even, after davening, the whole thing is not, the only question of forbidden or permitted just comes from the fact that the things that are forbidden, they're obviously not going to do. They don't even require consideration. But, but forbidden and permitted is like almost a non-issue from it, it, it's grounded in something much more, which is what is my life all about? Which has become clarified to the person in their prayer. And as long as that clarity lasts, the whole way their thought is going to be oriented is going to be different. And this sense of opportunity cost. And they don't want things to trigger, th- you know, things that are distracting. Them. Okay. Which then leads to another thing. It says here the person... prevent his heart's desires from expressing themselves on page 49. 
in action, word, and thought, and divert his attention altogether from the craving of his heart toward the complete opposite direction. Meaning that if a person has that kind of clarity in their mind, not only they cannot act based on their feelings, not only they not speak based on their feelings, not only they not indulge their thoughts, but actually what happens to the feeling itself. Like what happens when the person concludes that the desire for ice cream is just coming from the klipa? Yeah, they move on and the desire dissipates. There is not even that tension of like keeping my thoughts over here when I really desire over there. Even that disappears. Right. So it's a matter of it's a it, it 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 it's it's not a matter really of self control. That kind of you know gritting your teeth. I can't be doing this. I can't be thinking. That's just not really what it is. The Rebbe gives an example of this. Imagine a person. Um, this is an example of where it takes time, where, where the person has to gain that clarity after the fact. So it's, this is not the example. I'm just giving you the example of the levels of this. That a person has a business and someone opens up a competing business right across the street. So how do you feel towards that person? Irritated. Mildly vengeful. Mildly I like that phrase. I'm going to adopt that phrase. Mildly vengeful. Okay. Um, but being that you know a thing or two about the truth of reality, you reflect upon the fact that ultimately who decides how much money you make in life? Hashem. And the other person has no ability to detract from your livelihood. Right? Everything is Bishkach pratis, And therefore, that gives you enough of a sense that your mildly vengefulness is really misplaced, and therefore you do not go burn this person's store down in the middle of the night. <laughs> but it doesn't prevent you from bad-mouthing them in shul. So it requires a little bit more reflection to really, really absorb the point. This person really is not a threat to your livelihood at that point that you can. Yeah, you, at, you, at, in shul, you don't say anything bad about them, right? You don't even like give them a backhanded compliment, which is really like a setup for someone. <laughs> like, well, I wouldn't even encourage you to do any of this. Well, not yet, not yet. We're gonna, I want to go stages. Oh. But in your thoughts... <laughs> You are still you are still driving tremendous pleasure from seeing his store burn down. <laughs> but then you reflect and ponder even more that really, really he has no shares no threat whatsoever at all in any way, shape, or form to to your livelihood. And if it really sinks in, you stop fantasizing about how horrible this person is and how you'd like to get back at him. In fact, it gets to a point where you no longer feel mildly vengeful. In fact, you don't feel vengeful at all. (laughs) You don't even feel irritated. Which, of course, raises the question, you might ask. Why is this person open of a business across the street from me? given that everything is by divine providence. It's the same business as me. Maybe a thought occurs to you. Hashem is giving you the opportunity to help him, seeing as how you've had run this successful business and you know quite a thing or two about the running the business. Hashem is giving you the opportunity to help another person, another Jew. Preventing his heart's eyes from expressing themselves in action then word or thought, divert his intention altogether from the craving's heart towards the complete opposite direction. This power of the mind ruling the heart actually can get us to 
make a 180. And the more, now think about it, if this person, the first time that they ever thought about this notion that everything is by divine providence is when this competitor opens up a store from it's gonna be very hard, right? But what if the person has had a clear sense of that, that they've been cultivated and maintained, and they just this very morning, they had a very honest, clear contemplation about how much Hashem controls every aspect of reality, how much Hashem cares for them, how much Hashem loves them, and how Hashem is infinite, doesn't depend on anything else, right? and how Hashem gives every person the opportunity to serve Him the best way possible. And that was crystal clear, emotionally compelling to that person that very morning. And then they find out this guy opens up the store right in front of them. Does that mean they won't feel not that it's, because there's like they won't feel that initial rush in their gut of mild vengefulness? Probably they will. At least maybe a little bit threatened and jolted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, threatened, a little jolted, and they'll be aware that that's what they're feeling, and then they will remember reality. Remember reality. And of course, they're not going to do anything. Of course, they're not going to say anything. Of course, they're not, of course they're not going to dwell on it. And 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 and, and in fact, very. Very, very quickly, their mind reorients is like, like they start looking for where, where is the, where is my opportunity to serve Hashem in this picture? What is Hashem, what unique opportunities Hashem bringing to me? And so they're, so they felt it, right? Mm-hmm. But that wasn't the battle, right? They experienced something, but, but that wasn't the real battle. That was because of the mind ruling the heart. And so, yes, there was an, the thought of awareness, Right? The battle is back to the clarity. The battle is back to the clarity. That's what I'm trying to get to. The UC is that that all, that clarity gives that power of, of of direction to the mind that makes the heart into line, and to the point that it's even the opposite. Okay, someone had a question. Then we'll end here, and tomorrow we will go on and we'll talk about holiness. Someone raised their hand over in this direction. Oh. Yes. How is that different from just a regular maturity that everyone has? Like it's not. Dr. says it's a natural phenomenon. Oh. He's just saying, use that natural phenomenon relative to the greatness of Hashem rather than just like anything else. He says it's a, this, is, this is the nature of a human being. In fact, if you find an adult human being that doesn't operate that way, you need to get them to a doctor, right? Because there's something broken. Right? That's, that's how people operate. If they're a child, it's different because they haven't developed yet. But now, obviously, you can atrophy, right? You don't, you know, but yeah, that's exactly his point. That's just basic, right? This is how a man is created from birth at each person. Yeah. But it depends on how strong that clarity is. Okay? So that line, that line of using thought as this kind of indulgent place to like vicariously live all sorts of experiences, that's reserved for my relationship with Hashem. That, the klipa has no place there. But awareness, considering doing things, that's, you know... <laughs> person's a functional adult. They have to be aware of what's going on themselves. They have to consider doing the things that are possibly worth doing, right? Those kinds of thoughts the baby does have. One last thing I'll say on this is overthinking whether you should be thinking something, a good use of your thought. So one of the things that a Bainini realizes is that overthinking things is itself coming from? That's right. That's right. That maybe me thinking so much about whether I should eat the ice cream is the Klippa's way of getting me to spend all my thought on the ice cream. <laughs> and maybe I'd just be better off just by, after all, ice cream kosher, just eating a little bit of ice cream moving on mm. rather than 
dedicating the next 10 minutes to thinking about the ice cream. Which is why you find that Hasidim had this kind of like, historically, they had had this attitude of like absolute asceticism from everything because you have to, as you say, make a judgment call. Sometimes just pick your battles <laughs> and move on. That's the thing that don't separate you. That's the things that are not sins, right? I'm not talking about things that are not inherently forbidden. Right. And don't bring you further from Hashem. Well, remember opportunity cost. Let's say a person knows very clearly, either can sit here for 10 minutes and think about whether or not I should eat the ice cream. And in the end, when I decide not to eat the ice cream, then I'll feel really arrogant and haughty about how I never ate the ice cream and I'm better than everyone else, right? Or in the end, I will eat the ice cream and feel like a total failure and guilty and like a low life. Or the ice cream is being served. I can eat like, you know, a normal helping of ice cream, not put my thought into it and move on to life. Which of those two things is going to make me further from Hashem? Considering I know myself and those are the two options available to me. So eat a little ice cream, move on in life. But the answer is to eat the ice cream. Very often. <laughs> Very often. Especially if your mother gets you ice cream. And it is definitely... 